This is a Neighbors United in Christ broadcast. Welcome to this midweek Lenten services. I'm Greg Wilcox, and I'm doing this service with uh, Jim Haugerud and Debbie Tag and Isaac Christensen. We'll be doing midweek Lenten services throughout the season of Lent. And this first one is recorded for Ash Wednesday, which is March 2nd. Uh, these midweek services recognize the journey of Lent, which is 40 days before Easter, and it is a reminder of the way that Jesus walked as he made his way towards Jerusalem and finally to Calvary and the cross. And we journey with him and recognize his willingness to embrace suffering and even death for us. Through these services, we'll be using a variety of songs and prayers. Uh, I've got a little Lenten litany that I'll use later. Uh, but part of our theme for the midweek Lenten services are the I am sayings of Jesus. Things like, uh, I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world. And they're all connected with uh, an Old Testament text in Exodus 3, 1 through 20, where Moses is called by God to go and uh, tell Pharaoh that he is to let the Israelites go. And Moses asks, who shall I say sent me? And God says, I am. Tell them I am. I am who I am sent you. And so I'll talk a little bit tonight about that Exodus text. But let me continue with the prayer. This prayer comes from a book of daily prayer by John Bailey. Let us pray. O Father in heaven, who didst fashion my limbs to serve thee and my soul to follow hard after thee, with sorrow and contrition of heart, I acknowledge before thee the faults and failures of the day that is now past. Too long, O Father, have I tried thy patience. Too often have I betrayed the sacred trust thou hast given me to keep. Yet thou art still willing that I should come in thee in lowliness of heart, and now I do, beseeching thee to drown my transgressions in the sea of thine own infinite love. My failure to be true even to my own accepted standards, my self-deception in face of temptation, my choosing of the worse when I know better, O oh Lord, forgive. My failure to apply to myself the standards of conduct I demand of others, my blindness to the suffering of others and my slowness to be taught by my own, my complacence towards wrongs that do not touch my own case and my oversensitiveness to those that do, my slowness to see the good in my fellows and to see the evil in myself, my hardness of heart towards my neighbor's faults and my readiness to make allowance for my own, my unwillingness to believe that thou hast called me to a small work and my brother to a great one, O Lord, forgive. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and give me the strength of a willing spirit. Amen. I'll ask Jim and Debbie to come and sing for us, please. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound That saved a wretch like me I once was lost, but now I'm found Was blind, but now 
Thanks, Jim and Debbie, for those beautiful songs. I have a little Lenten litany that I will do each of the Wednesday night services, and I'll do that now. 
When we're hungry for more than this world can give us, remind us, O Lord, that you said, I am the bread of life. When we can't find our way and we feel like darkness is gathering all around us, remind us, O Lord, that you said, I am the light of the world. When the challenges of life seem overwhelming and we don't know where to turn, remind us, O Lord, that you said, I am the good shepherd. When the road before us is full of detours and the way ahead seems uncertain, remind us, O Lord, that you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When our faith falters and the temptations around us grow stronger, remind us, O Lord, that you said, I am the true vine. And when at last we come to our journey's end, remind us, O Lord, that you said, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. The text that I'd like to read for the service tonight, this Ash Wednesday service, is from Exodus, the third chapter, verses 1 through 20. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this my title for all generations. Go and assemble the elders of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, of the, Lord the God of the ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have given heed to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. I declare that I will bring you up out of the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
They will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us now go three days' journey into the wilderness, so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I know, however, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will perform in it. After, he, after that, he will let you go. Here ends the lesson for this Wednesday night, Ash Wednesday service. Dear friends in Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, we're beginning this sermon series that I mentioned in the introductions. We're beginning it here on Ash Wednesday, the various I am sayings of Jesus. To understand those sayings, we had to begin with this Old Testament text in the book of Exodus. The Israelites are slaves in Egypt, and God calls Moses to go to Pharaoh, and it's wonderful news for the Israelites, but not so much for Moses, who immediately begins to imagine all the problems involved with going to Pharaoh with the news that God wants him to set the Israelites free. If that weren't enough to worry about, Moses imagines that even the Israelites themselves won't believe that God sent him, Moses, to lead them out of slavery. So when Moses asks God what to say, when the Israelites ask Moses who sent him, God gives Moses a glimpse into the mystery and majesty of who God really is and tells Moses God's name is I am who I am. God's name discloses something essential. God, I am, is the eternal, always existing, unimaginable power behind and beyond all created things. God always was, God always is, God always will be. And for the purposes of the rest of our Lenten journey, when we talk about one of the I am sayings of Jesus, a really important thing to remember is that in addition to being the bread of life and the light of the world and so on, Jesus is claiming that he is God, he is the I am. He is the eternal, always existing, unimaginable power behind and beyond all creation. For tonight's message, I just want to focus on what it means that God gave his name, I am, to Moses and that he gave his name to us too. Moses needs reassurance. The task he's being called to is a big one. Knowing God's name is one thing that reassures him. Moses needs a lot of help. He won't be able to do this task on his own. Knowing God's name gives him not simply someone to call out to, but gives him God's promise that God will answer when he calls. Knowing God's name gives Moses power, not power over God, but God's power that Moses can use as God's ambassador to Pharaoh and God's servant leader to the Israelites. Let me illustrate the importance and power of knowing another's name with a reading by Frederick Buechner, and then a little story about my youngest son, Dan. Here's the reading from Beekner. And Beekner, uh, his last name is spelled B-U-E-C-H-N-E-R, and it looks like Buechner, but here's what he says. Beekner is my name. It is pronounced Beekner. If somebody mispronounces it in some foolish way, I have the feeling that what's foolish is me. If somebody forgets it, I feel that it's I who have been forgotten. There's something about it that embarrasses me in just the same way that there's something about me that embarrasses me. I can't imagine myself with any other name, Held, say, or Merrill, or Havlicek. 
my name were different, I would be different. When I tell you my name, I have given you a hold over me that you didn't have before. If you call out, I stop, look, and listen whether I want to or not. Well, given that, uh, knowing another's name, as Beekner says, calling it out, gives you a certain hold on them, entitles you to a certain help from them. And so this little story about Dan, which I'm sure that I've shared with you sometime in this past year. When Dan was six, I took him on a business trip to do a workshop at a nursing home down in Kansas City. I told Dan about all the fun we would have. We'd play games in the car as we drove down to Kansas City. We'd eat at McDonald's and Dan could get a happy meal. We'd stay at a hotel with a swimming pool and Dan and I would go swimming and then stay up late to watch TV. But, I said, there'd be one hour when Dan would need to just sit in the back of the room when I was doing a workshop and he'd have to amuse himself there. Well, we did all those fun things and we came to the time when we were at the nursing home and the staff had all gathered to be part of my workshop. I gave Dan books to look at, coloring books to color, toys to play with, and snacks to eat. If any little boy ever had plenty to keep him busy for several hours, Dan did. But after about half hour of my presentation, Dan called out loudly from the back of the room, Dad, I'm bored. I tried to shush him politely from the front of the room. Five minutes later, Dan called out again, Dad, this is really boring. When can we go home? The staff giggled, and I went back to try to get Dan settled enough to finish my workshop. Five minutes later, my six-year-old son called out one last time, Can't we please go home, Dad? And go home we did. Of course, Dan not only knew my name, Dad, but the name he knew also revealed the special relationship he had with me. Knowing my name and being my son gave him power to ask and receive. The almighty, everlasting God, the I Am, who revealed himself to Moses, is not only our God, but is also our Heavenly Father. And because of that great eternal truth, we can always call on him knowing that he hears us, he cares for us, he will answer us. Amen. This service, as I mentioned earlier in the announcements, is Ash Wednesday service that we're recording and as I'm sure most of you probably know, the Ash Wednesday service has a unique feature about it, at least in many traditions. And that is an invitation at some point in the service to come forward and have the imposition of ashes marked on your forehead. This is deeply embedded in the Catholic tradition and it's pretty strongly embedded in the Lutheran tradition as well, as well as other mainline Protestant traditions. For Lutherans, there are at least three things that we are reminded of, and I just want to name those, and then I'm gonna invite you, uh, wherever you're listening to this, to make the sign of the cross on your own forehead, uh, and that will be our imposition of ashes virtually as part of this service. So when we do the imposition of ashes, we're reminding ourselves that we're sinners. And much of the Old Testament, New Testament too, ashes are a sign that someone has sinned and it's a sign of repentance. And so that's the first thing we remember, that we're faulty, we're frail, we mess up. The second thing we, <coughs> excuse me, we remember when we do that imposition of ashes is that we're 
frail, we're human, we're mortal. The little thing that I will say when I do the imposition of ashes is remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. And it's a reminder then that none of us lives uh, on and on and on. There is a point in each of our lives when we come to an ending that we're all mortal. And the third thing we remember, I don't just make any shape on people's foreheads when I do the imposition of ashes, nor do any pastors or priests. They make the sign of the cross when they do that imposition. It's a reminder that Jesus has died for us on the cross. In our sinfulness and our mortality, he came to die for each of us. So at this point, I would like you then, wherever you are, to make the sign of the cross on your forehead. And as you do, hear these words. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I'd like to use a little prayer that's by Joyce Rupp, and it's called simply The Echo of Ashes. So would you pray with me, please? Remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The large brown bowl rests on a purple cloth, its roundness holding ashes freshly burned, black and ready for wearing. Blackened thumbs press the ancient sign upon the waiting foreheads. I hear the message repeated, and it haunts and hunts me down. Remember, remember, remember. You are dust, dust, only dust. Someday only dust will remain. The echo of the lent-stained ashes speaks the truth of my humanity, the humbleness of my beginning, the simplicity of my departure. A few wise words echoing through Ash Wednesday urge me to deeper things, renewed dedication, constant compassion, and mindful awareness. I leave marveling at how simple and sublime is this envelope of the soul, which one day returns to dust, dust, only dust. Amen. I'll invite Jim and Debbie to come and sing for us. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious
Thank you for listening to a Neighbors United in Christ broadcast. Our podcast is supported by our three congregations of Deronda, Little Falls, and Trinity Lutheran Churches, our small town churches in Amory, Wisconsin. Our pastor today is the Reverend Greg Wilcox. If you feel so moved to donate, please visit us online at nuicparish.org. That's nuicparish.org. Until next time.